When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about in the world of books reading, except for today, except for like every other show at this point. It's kind of what we do. But I would say this is one of our two like podcast holidays for us. Yes. We, the original podcast holidays, the Thanksgiving and, well, Thanksgiving is made up by Americans, but like sort of a Christmas Easter, you know, what we do here is our recommendation shows. Our first, it was our first off script in sort of running down headlines and links mm-hmm. and things that we did back in the day. Spawned the Get Booked podcast. We've done it for a long time. Had a very good time with it. Our mom's dad's and grad's recommendation show coming out on May 5th. For your moms out there, there's a few mom's things. You're going to have to get by your book quick on the turnaround for for uh, Sunday there, but uh, maybe maybe you're, you still have a little bit of time or like a gift card with a rec or something like that you could do. Um, I'm not sure. Was there any through line here, Rebecca, of things that we saw this no, year? No, I yeah. didn't see any major through lines, which is kind of fun. It's fun when they're a little bit all over the place. I felt like I got to flex a, a couple different muscles going through right making my notes and you know maybe notably this is our first episode in a while where we won't be talking about lonesome dove it's right well that you just you ruined it though you just talked about <laughs> sorry it. no one's getting a recommendation yeah because we don't know literally what it is uh i, I had i had fewer occasions to um RSTLNE, as we said last time i didn't yeah. have a gilead i didn't have a night Mm-mm. circus i didn't have a martian i didn't have a though i think i have i think We'll get to it, but I think such a fun age might has joined my um my uh yes maybe not and- top tier, but it's it's available. It's 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 like my eight iron, like it's in the bag. But usually I'm using a seven or a nine. But like I think for for a lot of um, books, there's going to be use for that particular club here. Yeah, I also noticed that I didn't go to a lot of my Swiss Army picks, and we didn't get the pretty common request for a read-alike to any mm. of those. Mm-hmm. We didn't get the read-alike for the Martian or the read-alike for the Night Circus. And I I don't know what's what that's about. Maybe we've just been existing long enough in a world where read-alikes for those things are really difficult that we've accepted those are yeah. pretty singular <laughs> reading experiences yeah. we've been failing to give read-alikes for them for enough years that folks have stopped asking or maybe know. they know what to get people have listened right. to this, like oh, if I went, oh there, there's the one we're right. gonna do so all right well let's do our first sponsor break and we'll get into it today's episode is brought to you by avid reader press so this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. 
The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Would you like to give first or receive first here, as they say in sports? I will uh, give first. All right. Go for it. Okay. Uh, This is a request for someone whose dad reads technical computer manuals for fun. He loves cars, motorcycles, airplanes, and boats. Basically, any means of transportation keeps his attention. Last year, I got him a book on the history of a specific motorcycle with a ton of beautiful pictures in addition to technical info, and he loved it. Not sure how to follow that up, especially since I haven't been able to flip through books in person to find the best pictures. So any help in interesting nonfiction would be greatly appreciated. I'll take this one first. Um, I think I recommended this on the show before for a similar kind of question. It's called How to Build a Car by A. Newey, uh, N-E-W-E-Y. Links in the show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. It is called The Autobiography of the World's Greatest F1 Designer. F1 is a racing circuit. Uh, probably, I think it's probably the most demanding um, racing circuit there is these days. It's a beautiful, get in hardcover, I should say. It's a beautiful book. It came out a few years ago, and I th- it's out of print, but you can still get hardcovers. I looked it up to see if it wasn't exorbitantly expensive, and the hardcovers on Amazon were running like 33 34 bucks. It's an oversized thing. It's really cool. I think it'd be a wonderful book. I found it interesting. It's got illustrations, like really technical stuff of like um, sections of various parts of the car. Like, I know a part of a car that I could reference to give an example. I am just withholding it for reasons <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that would be my, you know, gift bookie pick. Uh, you can look it up on Amazon. You can flip through the pages virtually and kind of get a sense of what it's like. I found it really interesting, and I am not a technical person, but I find everything interesting, so that's a very low bar. It doesn't help you. <laughs> my Swiss Army um, dad, I'm doing dad book quotes here. I want, a, I want, a, I want a de-gender dad book. I, we, I need a different thing. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. About what dad books are. Um, that there's a particular kind of person, I may now be one of them, that likes these kinds of books doesn't mean that other people won't like them, nor should it essentialize what dads read, blah, blah, blah. But there's something else going on here that's history, it's technical, and it's about certain kinds of subjects. And um, I think I, I don't know if I talked to you about it on the show last time or mentioned it, or it was you off did. air. Yeah, well, The Bomber yeah, Mafia by yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. You mentioned Gladwell, it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just out um, as a print edition, though it started out as an audiobook and as a series of podcasts of Gladwell's revisionist history, probably... The canonical version of this would be the audiobook because there's clips of, you know, all these people that there's referencing and everything else. I did an ebook because I wanted to blast through it because it was like mm-hmm. only, it's only like 179 pages. It is available in print. And it's about this particular moment in the history of aerial warfare and strategies around high altitude bombing. And really, you know, I'm Gladwell. I think this is actually a really good use of Gladwell because it is a singular story that he's telling from multiple perspectives rather than trying to stitch like eight anecdotes into a grand theory of like blinking or something like that, you oh, know? interesting. So it's really nice to see him dig in into his interest. And he says at the beginning, like, this is unlike my other books, right? It's not trying to come up with a theory or a through line. I just am really interested in this particular story, this is historical moment, and then pulling out from that what's interesting about it. But basically... This idea between of, of using high altitude bombing either to sort of like destroy, like in, inflict as much carnage as possible to get the enemy, Japan or Germany in these cases, to submit, or using strategic strikes against like ball bearing factories or motorcycle plants to cripple the war machine without killing a bunch of people. Right? Can can we win this war without having to kill a bunch mm-hmm. of people? Which is generally how you win wars, unfortunately. And it's personified in the in the figure on one side of the more strategic, humane sort of idea of warfare and Hoyt Hansel, who's trying to figure out, can we just bomb the factories and leave the people alone? And then Curtis LeMay, who's not, who's not a blood and thunder kind of guy. He's a pragmatist. How can we get this war over quickly, the quickest? Because quickly, in this case, it's like a ripping the Band-Aid off situation. The quicker this war is over, the few, fewer people will die on either sides, even if that means firebombing Tokyo or Dresden or something else like that. And the technological innovations, the moral questions, and the the worldview um, that collides here is really interesting, and I thought it was really good. An underappreciatedly important piece of the World War II tour story. My grandfather through B-17 Flying Fortresses in World War II um, my dad and uncle were on the flying parts of the Navy. I grew up loving planes, so I really love planes of all kinds. So I found this really interesting um, all the way around. For your annotated heads out there, my favorite nugget out of this one, I was just boring my brother with it yesterday, <laughs> was part of part of the story here is that when the B-29 Super Fortress finally could reach Japan out of their air bases in the Marianas, they flew so high around Mount Fuji, they, they came back and said, we're getting, they're telling their commanders, we're getting these 150-mile-per-hour tailwinds out here. And the commander's like, that's impossible. We've never seen that in the history of the world. Turns out just no one had ever flown that high, and they discovered the jet stream for the first time trying oh, to bomb wow. Tokyo. But turns out they weren't the first person to discover the jet free, stream. The first person was a dude named like Walter Oishi, who had discovered it like 15 years before, but he only published in Esperanto because he was an Esperanto cultist. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That is a twist I was not expecting. Right. I was like, wait, this is an Esperanto story about bombers in a book? Like, I I almost like 
atomized oh, there. So man, that's enough you know, about the Bomber Mafia by Malcolm we Gladwell. We should have had an annotated episode about Esperanto. We did! Victor we, wrote it. You, we didn't see you weren't a part of that one. You don't remember. Oh, Victor wrote an Esperanto episode. Yeah, there you go. So It's such a good idea that someone had it. Yeah, someone already had that. <laughs> already had it. Yeah, the oh, Dream of a Universal Language. Yeah, so um, that was the name of the episode. Uh, you can find annotated out there, but uh, yeah, just a little built-in product placement. There You're you go welcome. for a thing we no longer make. So <laughs> please enjoy that. Okay, enough uh, of that. I, that yeah. that'll be my longest uh, digression on a book. I think. Well, I I'm glad that we kicked off on this one and that you went first because this is yes. a little further outside right. of my wheelhouse. But I was yeah. thinking about this person's dad and like what I think is kind of going on in the hearts of people mm-hmm. who are who love like a technical manual and how things work and looking at the ways that stuff is put together. And I think I've recommended this book on other moms, dads and grads, but I deeply love Shop Class as Soul Craft by Matthew B. Crawford. Uh, he was a mechanic and an electrician. And this is a look at like functionally the the joy of working with your hands of doing manual labor and also kind of a celebration of the intricacies of systems that you know run motorcycles or mm. any of these other planes trains automobiles types of things that your dad is into sort of a spiritual meditation but light on the spiritual stuff about like why is this so satisfying why does it feel so good and sort of a, just a deep celebration of what it is to to be a mechanic to work with your hands to do something that requires like your full attention in that way mm. um and like of, of tuning in to I think there's real underappreciated beauty in machines, you know, or they're so functional that they don't get a lot of attention for the beauty and the care that, and intention that goes into creating mm-hmm. them. Uh, and this is a real look at that. I think it might sort of take dad in a different direction um, or maybe open up a new conversation about his appreciation of these things. I mean, it also might be a total dud for him, but I think it's worth a shot. Um, And then in the vein of a book with beautiful illustrations, I did a little research and I came across a book called Flight, The Complete History of Aviation that's published by Smithsonian. And it looks like it delivers on that promise of being a complete history of aviation. There are all kinds of photos and drawings and diagrams and lots of deep research about aviation from the Wright brothers all the way on up. Uh, So if you're looking for coffee table kinds of books for dad, I think that might be a good place to go as well. Yeah, those they are just spectacular coffee table books out there around planes. Um, especially, I used to have a whole bunch of them. I really wish. Really? really? Yeah, I, I huh. went through a pretty serious model airplane airplane phase when I was like ten to fourteen. Um, somewhere in there. All right, let's go on to the next. Hey, Rebecca and Jeff, moms, dads, and grads, just be my favorite time of the year. Oh, flattery will get you everywhere. Welcome. And I have an unapologetically selfish request this year. I'm a teacher, and the constant change related to COVID this past year. Moment of silence for the teachers out there. Mm. Have me completely exhausted and unable to read for pleasure most of the time. I'm trying to line up some recommendations for books I can read in July once my brain has a chance to settle. Uh, I have pretty diverse reading interests, but I would say most of my favorites fall solidly in the Shinsky wheelhouse. I'm looking for something that speaks to my soul in a way like the Nature Fix did, or maybe something completely different, something that rips my heart out like a little life. Honestly, I really don't know what I want. I guess otherwise she'd be reading. Uh, uh, so whatever speaks to your souls is what I want to hear about. Just sell me on something. I've already had Gillian. T- See, there it is. She already got the RNS. She knows. She's been watching Wheel. 
Thank you for making my ears and heart happy every Monday. All right, you're up. Okay. Come on, All she right. asked for well, you. Give the people I, yeah. what they want. Here, I, I went straight for what mm. spoke to my soul in the last couple of years. I think the closest thing to the nature fix, even though the books are very different, is How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, which is a contemplation of sort of what the attention economy is and how and why to be more intentional about where your attention goes. It's not a down with technology book. It's a think about your relationship to technology and the utility of the technology or of stepping away from it. And then also thinking about your relationship to nature, to the place that you live, like to knowing what's in your neighborhood mm. and what other animals are in your neighborhood. There's, there are these beautiful sections where she talks about um, this crow that lands on the balcony of her apartment. And then crow has a son that she nicknames crow son. So there's crow and crow son who come and visit her every day and what it's like to watch these sort of like tiny parts of the world around her and feel deeply connected to them and how that feeds wanting to be less connected to things that seem artificial. Um, I read it right before COVID started last year and before we even knew that COVID was a thing that was like maybe going to become something like we had not heard the words yet and I thought that it was going to be the setting for a year of like travel and being out in the, in the world in a different way. So I think I'm going to go back to it now because mm. I'm planning to resume that part of my life and I want to revisit um, what that means. So I think you might find a lot to value in how to do nothing. Um, the last work of, I guess, kind of fiction that really ripped my heart out was In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. It's kind of a memoir in that, the story of the book is based on an abusive relationship that she had. And every chapter of the book is told in a different genre. And I feel like it's almost impossible to describe. Like I had heard the setup and read the synopsis of this book a dozen times before I finally decided to read it. And then when I got into it, it just blew my mind. And I'm like, well, if someone had explained to me that this book was going to do this to me, I would have read it two years ago mm. kind of way. But I just don't know that you can explain it. But it's like, it's not just that she explores a different genre as the story move, like the story moves forward in every chapter. So it's not the same thing retold in a bunch of genres. It's a, a new part of the story in a different genre as it goes forward. And she has matched the moments of the relationship to the genre or the trope that she thinks can best express what's happening there. And it is like it, your heart will be in your throat. It is very difficult to read at points. So like all the trigger warnings that apply to a little life apply to in the dream house as well but it is astonishing and so creative and i think the most innovative piece of writing that i've encountered in a long time and then just for like little nuggets of goodness i think you have to pick up world of wonders in praise of fireflies whale sharks and other astonishments by amy nazuku matatil she is a poet uh, each section or each little vignette in the book is about a different thing in the natural world, including fireflies, whale sharks, and other astonishments. And she weaves observations and facts about that natural thing in with essay type reflections uh, that 
that prompts from her own life. So like the, I think the example I've given on the show before is that she's writing about flamingos and she's also writing about being a long legged teenage girl dancing in a club and like being aware of your body in that way. It's beautiful and really sharp. Um, and I've gone back to that one several times. So those are three straight from my wheelhouse, the wheelhouse in my soul. (laughs) I'm not sure where else it would be. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I got two ideas for you. I'm going, one is just straight up reading immersion, kind mm. of the, that fiction can do, and one is a little more soul-nourishing. I'll start with the soul-nourishing one first. This, this could, listen, we have our on these for a reason. Hard to switch out an L for a Y here, you know, but I think this case... We maybe should be talking more about the Book of Delights by Ross Gay than Tiny Beautiful yes. Things anymore. I just, I'm just putting it out there, Rebecca. I'm just floating it out there for those of you who are looking for that kind of thing. It's a poet writing essays. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <sighs> Very good things happen. Yes. Ross Gay. I mean, this year it's weird because Ross Gay wrote this after a tumultuous year in his life. Now we've all had it. So we mm-hmm. all can do a tumultuous year, like what kind of things we're looking for. These are short essays reflecting on... Ordinary wonders, ordinary delights, um, but some of it is about, even, and that's and that's framed, of course, as always must be always already, that Ross Gay is a black man living in America, but also holding tomato plants on an airplane and trying to take, take care of it. Also, a friend who really likes to use air quotes and kind of a, what if, what if, you know, there was the sort of David Sedaris kind of observational acuity with a bigger heart is kind of what you're looking at with Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Because it's, it's not tonally at all similar, but what it does, it's looking around for the everyday that's around and seeing what's interesting. In, in Sedaris's case, it's, it's, it's macabre and funny. In this case, what's delightful and sustaining even in a difficult, impossible, terrifying, even envelope. So that's the Book of Delights by Ross Gay. I'm uh, so mad that you thought good, of right? that I knew. One. I, I was so like, I'm, I was like, I'm, I'm, she's gonna. I didn't even put. Did you see? I didn't even put in the list. Sneaky. I, 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 <laughs> I was when you were like, this is gonna be a new one. I was sitting here and I was like, oh, it looks like this one isn't in the notes, and I'm gonna be helpful and type this into the notes while he does it. And You're then gonna you be said helpful the by being mad. Delights. You didn't think Ugh. of it, which helps me a great deal. <laughs> The other one, the, this sort of, this is what stories can do kind of thing I'm going for is The Night Tiger by Yangtze Chu came out a couple years ago. A little hard to describe. It is, we've talked about often that the new center of literary fiction is inter-genre, right, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And The Night Tiger is historical fiction, set in 1930 Malaysia. And like the main character is a dressmaker who wants to go to college and can't because of socioeconomic reasons. But then kind of a mystery, supernatural maybe. I don't want to spoil anything, but like something happens. Basically, she works at a dance hall and finds a piece of a finger uh, (laughs) and tries to figure out what's going on. And the whole thing is way more complicated and interesting than you would think. I thought this was great. I, I just... This is what this is what literary fiction can do in its best to synthesize a whole bunch of different things. It, it can be unexpected. It cannot tell you what you're... I mean, I think that's one thing literary fiction does. We're thinking about romance where I'm going to get something something a little bit... No, actually, I didn't actually end up reading it. I just read Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda ah. Holmes, which I, mm-hmm. you know, liked. If you... This is a general one out there. If you like Gilmore Girls, go pick it up and you're an adult. That's fun to read. Anyway, um, but it 
it's not a Rome, capital R romance because you don't know if the people end up together. And I think that's the thing what literary fiction does. It picks up genre stuff, but it adds to the question marks around mm-hmm. genre. Is this going to follow or not? Or how is it going to follow or cross? And this is just a wonderful, immersive, you know, read it in July. Give yourself a day when you've got nothing else to do and get lost on it. So that's the Night Tiger by Yang Siege. Oh, yeah, there's a tiger that may, that's like around it a ton. It might, may or may be killing people and may not be a ghost or real. So anyway, those are That's my good. picks. Oh, yeah, there's a tiger. It's quite a postscript. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's called the night tiger. So I thought it might. It's not called the found finger or something else like that. The l- found l- finger. <laughs> it, sounds like a, it sounds like a leprosy story. Uh, anyway, here we go. I'm reading. My birthday is May 10th, and I'm looking for book recommendations of my favorite genre. Dysfunctional families or female girlfriends with problems set in New York City. I love the nest. Love lettering. Uh, thanks for that pick, Rebecca, <clears throat> uh, from a previous recommendation show. <laughs> Happy and You Know It by Laura Hankin and Modern Lovers by Mr. What else you got? P.S. I'm loving the perks of being an epic member and thought the podcast watch party on YouTube was a blast. Well, thank you for saying so, Donna. All right. Again, we, 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 make, we make the dark descent into Rebecca's <laughs> wheelhouse. Yeah, this one is also a genre that I love. I call it rich people problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since you mentioned The Nest, I just have to let you know that if you have not read Cynthia Dupree Sweeney's new novel, Good Company, it's excellent. It is good. I don't think we've talked about this. Yes, it is good. I thought it was better than The Nest, and I really liked The Nest. Um, For girlfriends in New York City having issues, if you have not read Rich and Pretty, which was Ruman Alam's debut novel several years back. Yeah. It's a good one. It's about two women who have been best friends for a long time. One of them's rich and the other one's pretty and drama ensues. Uh, it was like, I think I read it on a vacation and it was like, sit on the beach, burn through this book in three hours. It's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Um, friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan, who I think if you're in the Emma Straub wheelhouse and you're not reading J. Courtney Sullivan, you're definitely missing out. Her whole backlist is wonderful. But Friends and Strangers is about um, a woman who has just recently left New York City, is living in the burbs with her husband, who is a, like, perpetually about to get his big break in his career that never quite happens. Mm. She really misses her friends and she's a little snobby, so she hasn't made friends in the suburbs. And then they hire a nanny who works at the local college and she and the girl, the college girl, um, form this weird friendship that goes into like, not weird in a disturbing way, but weird, just in strange, like some boundary questions, dysfunctional relationship way. And you might like that. And then this is coming out, I think in June, but I wanted to get it on your radar. Bring your baggage and don't pack light is a collection of essays by Helen Ellis, who wrote uh, Mm. some American housewife and another great essay collection I can't remember now that's about basically she writes about being a southerner who lives in New York and bring your baggage and don't pack light is a funny and really heartfelt essay collection about her life and a lot of it is about stuff with her girlfriend so I think the opening piece is about why it's great to be the second call friend like you're not the first person (laughs) that people call at 2 a.m. you're not the one who's getting invited to be like in the room helping somebody breathe through their labor but you're going to show up second and do all the things and why she loves to be the second one on somebody's speed dial um just really smart uh and a different perspective i think those are all really fun and i'm i can see your pick here jeff and i'm also mad about it (laughs) (laughs) we've never talked about this book which is funny i don't think because it rings a lot of both of us i think it's because it's fiction right if this was a memoir we'd have already read it and talked about it because it it, it's a i should say what it is sweet better by stephanie dandler came out 
boy, five years ago now? Yeah. Is that possible? And Time I read goes. it before it came out. Wow, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, Galley Brad Girl. I see what you're hey, doing. Hey. Um, so I was a 20-something in New York City trying to figure things out. So I will forever and always like this pretty genre. I don't have – this doesn't have the girlfriend's piece of it, right? I don't remember. It's been a mm. while, to be honest. I don't. So the main character is 22-year-old, and she works in the restaurant industry. And it's a novel – about working in the restaurant industry as a young person in New York and all the things that come along with it. Yeah, it does kind of have the girlfriend's angle because she gets taken under the wing of like one of the head hostesses or head wait staff, but it's not an entirely altruistic situation. Yeah, no, I wouldn't call it friends is a... (laughs) Right. I'm not sure the captures that. I guess what I'm thinking is like the the archetypal one is like a sense in the city, uh, sex in the city hang Mm, vibe. mm -hmm. Like we're all kind of equals. We're all doing our own things. We have brunch together and we're friends. This is not that. This is... This is not that, yeah. Darker, funnier, raunchy. Well, raunchier is... It is a little raunchy. It's pretty raunchy. It's it's sensual, I think. As much (laughs) as I hate that word. I don't know that that's the word I would go for. Well, but in terms of the food and the body, and the drugs and the, it's like it's it's like it's like experiential overload right and you can even tell by the look i'm looking at the cover right now it's like a glass of red wine breaking like mm-hmm. so it's i think that's a really good metaphor the it's sweet like, bitter thing is a is is very useful there uh, kind of a fictional embodiment of some of the spirit of kitchen confidential yeah the the, the pre-reformed bourdain i think yeah. would have recognized well he would have recognized it but the pre-reformed bourdain may have may have lived this maybe um, not so much raunchy as a little bit debauched okay that's fair. Um, debauched is raunchy with your clothes on. Um, <laughs> uh, as one note before I get out of that, because I need to get far away from that. <laughs> I was just looking at the Night Tiger, two ninety nine on Kindle right now. If anyone could go out and grab it, go get the night, get, get thyself the Night Tiger for three bucks while well, you can. I didn't say I anything a- before that. I didn't say anything before that. <laughs> I need a minute so my brain doesn't try to write the next line of that song. Uh, all right, I think all right. Let's your read is up. Okay. Uh, Let's see. This next question is from Grace. Uh, Their friend is graduating high school this year and has two recommendation requests. She's going to UCLA in the fall. So I'd love to give her a book set in LA. Her favorite genre is romance, but she also likes contemporary fiction and is pretty open to trying new books. And she recently read the Discovery of Witches series after hearing about it on Get Booked. Whoop, whoop, Amanda and Jen. Mm -hmm. She doesn't usually read fantasy, but she loved what she called the realistic fantasy of the series. I haven't been able to find anything like it and would love to give her one. Plus, it had a library and books featured in it. All right, Mr. O'Neill. Um, I went back in the machine a little bit. I was um, I read Hector Tobar's most recent book, which I can't remember what it's called. It's about a road trip. I have a gallery. I, I can't picture it. Anyway, Hector Tobar, um, the first novel I read of his was called The Barbarian Nurseries. It came out 2012. Talk about a long time oh, ago. Wow. Um, so we were just getting this thing cooking and off the ground. So it's, it's a big social novel across his lines of gender and race and economic class. Um, you know, people trying to become someone new, forgetting who they were, but then having to remember it. Um, I don't, I don't want to tell so much. You can read the, go read the synopsis here, but I think this is the kind of piece that I, this is the kind of book that I think if it came in, out would be a bigger deal frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a notable book of the New York Times 2011. So it got heat back in the day. But maybe it was, I think maybe a little before the time of people looking for stories like this. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, you know, it's centering on like there's the upstairs downstairs thing with a rich family and a maid, uh, a domestic worker. 
and they need something happens, they need her and lean on her, and then what all that means. It it's just really really good. I was I don't know who I, this this is a bigger picture. I it took me a while to come up with something because I was going for like, what are the definitive LA novels? I was like, well, maybe let's start there. And I was like, what, Joan Didion's like yeah. playing as a lays. That is a tough hang for. Me. I had. I was like a really. I wasn't sure where I was going. So, but podcast at bookriot dot com. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was stumped that, on but that. But I really, also. I really like this book, and it's um, it's contem- it's, it's ten year olds. Is it still contemporary? Uh, I guess so. Uh, but I think it represents a kind of LA. That in definitive LA books that I look at, like your, I hate to say the words, like the Brest Easton Ellis is the world, like all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like that historically has been a very white genre, the LA novel. And this one isn't, and also kind of acknowledges what's going on in LA and how that works. So that's, that's my number one pick. And I've lost my thing because what else was I going to say? Oh, for the real fantasy, now this is historical because it's set around in the Napoleonic world, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Where the magic is like, there's only two magicians in the world, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. One of them, Mr. Norrell, is like, he's, he's learned through books, basically, by studying his, his little magical fanny off, how to do a little bit of magic. Whereas Jonathan Strange is um, a natural, right? It comes to him easier. And they have, a, they have a mentorship that turns into a rivalry that turns into something else set in a larger world. So I think that's what I'm going for. It's like it's it's very close to like what if there were only two magicians and magic was really hard is kind of the world that this is mm-hmm. set in. So I think that might speak the discovery, which is thing warning, hella long. It's <laughs> a, a long book. So if you pitch it as think of it as three books, like a, a, a series in one cover, right? Because discovery of witches and some of those other things are long series. And like the first book, you're like ah, it's 300 pages. And like oh, there's six more of these. I'm in for 2,000 pages of this. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, I think, is 850, but it's all in one thing. So that might be a way of uh, packaging that a little bit. So those are my two. All right, I went for. LA stuff and I also could not land on like the definitive LA novel in the way that there are so many like definitive New York novels which is that like that's a question for another day but I have a couple that I think are really fun um for romance and um just a fun story the summer of Jordi Perez and the best burger in Los Angeles by Amy Spaulding is a a YA romance functionally about a 17 year old girl Um, her name is Abby she's gay it's been her dream to work at this fancy fashion boutique in town and she runs a plus style blog so she's like trying to make a name for herself and eventually take the fashion industry Mm. by storm Um, she finds out that she like she thinks thinks that she's gotten this dream internship at this boutique, but it turns out that there are going to be two interns. And at the end of the summer, only one of them is going to get the job. And the other intern is a girl named Jordi Perez, who, of course, is super hot. So now Abby is like falling for the girl that is her competition. And they become friends. And then they become maybe more than friends. And it's just really a really sweet fun story that takes you all over LA um, for a grown-up romance that's set in LA the wedding date by uh, Jasmine Guillory is really fun uh, that one does like romp all over the city mm. also um, and it's not super steamy so I feel okay about 
recommending this to a person who is still a teenager mm-hmm. uh, and then, <laughs> and then um, coming out in oh, now I got to check the publication galley dates all over the place just okay. dropping them like it's hot all over okay. I know I'm yeah, sorry coming go. out in June uh-huh. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid which we have her established her debut novel her debut novel <laughs> not I'm her looking debut forward novel to hearing what this or- writer's <laughs> or her sophomore novel, in fact. <laughs> but Taylor, actually, I thought about Daisy Jones and the Six for this, but I oh. think that might not be. I don't think if I were if like I don't think seventeen year old me would have loved Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, but Malibu Rising, obviously set in Why? L.A. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking ahead. Sorry, go for it. Never. Yeah, mind. it's what Malibu Rising is set in L.A. Moves between um, the '80s and some like some earlier 60s-ish time period stuff. It's about a group of four siblings, um, one of whom is super famous, and they throw this well-known end-of-summer party every year that, as big summer parties do, can heat up to a ridiculous pitch, but all kinds of drama starts happening around this family, and there are secrets that get unpacked, and, you know, affairs are had, and stories are told and all sorts of stuff happens it's really fun um i think i'm just gonna jump on board the taylor jenkins read stan bus like not all of her books are setups that i'm into but if it's gonna be contemporary ish or recent history la apparently i'm in mm-hmm. and malibu rising is like a perfect summer novel you know um, i gotta so- say I, I'll throw in. I haven't. I don't think we've talked about this, but I didn't realize till just now. The big party setup. I love the big party yes. setup. Movies, books. I'll take all of it. I love. Yeah, it's that so stuff. close to getting the band back together. Yeah, it is. And this. Yeah, and it's this like is, the band is about to break up. Kind of. Like right. There's, a, there's an end of the yep. end mm-hmm. of the century kind of thing going on. Yeah, um, and it, it it has that like band is getting back together thing, or it's family, and this. Um, Malibu Rising is all over the course of 24 hours around this party. So there's that like compressed narrative thing that we both really like too. I, I think the big party setup is an excellent and underappreciated one. Um, and Malibu Rising is just fun. Um, I think I think that teenage me would have enjoyed it yeah. as well. So there you go. I, I wonder if the Hollywood, you know, that movie industry is so synonymous with LA that they're, the the... I don't know. The, the atomic unit of narrative for L.A. is the movie. So there's probably a whole bunch. I mean, if, if we did mm-hmm. a bunch of like definitive L.A. movies, we'd be here all day. Um, right. So if someone wants to do an L.A. thing, they're probably going to film or TV first is, is sort of my guess there. But all right. Quick sponsor break and we'll come back. All right. Here we go for the next. Hi, Jeff and Rebecca. I'm a college senior graduating. May. Congratulations. And writing in for a recommendation for myself. I sort of have two requests. I'm looking for a fiction Work of fiction like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's City of Girls, Stephanie Dandler's Sweet Bitter, Hey, 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 hey. Sally Rooney's Normal People are books that focus on people in their early 20s carving out their own lives and communities in a new place as I'm moving cross country to Salt Lake City and would love books about starting real life. I know these books and are white women. I would love some more diversity, especially some queer rep. All right. Also looking for something like Ursula K. Le Guin's A Left-Handed Commencement ad, uh, Address. Some graduation nonfiction does not so much say go out and conquer win, but one is about going into the world and making your way the best you can. Thank you. All right. Rebecca. Whew, okay. Well, first of all, thank you for giving me a reason to Google Ursula K. Le Guin's oh, Left-Handed yeah, Commencement Address. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
because I was not familiar and now I am. And that was a gift. So thank you for that. For fiction about people in their 20s going into the world and like trying to make a go of it. I think you want to go to real life by Brandon Taylor. It's a good pick. It's it's messy and it's hard. There are some trigger warnings for sexual assault um, that but it's it's a story about a young queer black man who is in a big Midwestern city at a university. I think he's doing something like biochemistry yeah, and I he's quite remember. getting a PhD. He's the only black person in his program and one of the only gay people and he's coming he's from the south he's coming from a completely different life experience and some recent family trauma and it is it's all it's set over the course of like one weekend i think um it's or a couple weekends it's intense and really sharp and you just feel like you are right in the room watching him have these experiences both the really beautiful ones and the really difficult ones he's got this close group of friends and in the way of close group of friends sometimes they really cut each other um sometimes intentionally and sometimes accidentally and they're feeling their way through all of that and because now they're in their early 20s there are like no adults around to help mediate things because oh surprise now you're supposed to be the the adults yeah (laughs) um it's it is so 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 good um that's just a great one if for the other request for the like ad- adult giving some advice about things. I thought Notes on a Nervous Planet by Matt Haig was really lovely. Um, it's just little short vignette type meditations about being a person in the world. He writes about, you know, anxiety and about wanting to show up well in your life and about things that are challenging and about sometimes how you just need to like sit down and breathe. And I think there are really good little nuggets of wisdom in there, probably good quotable stuff um, also. And then for something that has some more substance to it, I really, really got a lot out of See No Stranger by Valerie Kaur, which came out last year, early this year. I've lost track of time. Uh, But she writes about she's a Sikh woman and has been an activist for her entire career for a couple of decades now. And she's writing about both her activism work and the structure of like trying to show up in the world and do social justice work of all kinds and do work around representation and inclusivity. And then also living in her own experience of being a member of a marginalized community in the U S and watching violence that's happened against Sikh Americans, especially since September 11th and her, so her own story of dealing with her trauma and learning how to begin healing is woven throughout her learning and work in collective healing and collective activism. Um, it's a big book. Um, mm. like It's over 400-ish pages. I did it like a chapter at a time as my morning reading with my coffee for a month or so, and I found that to be a really nice start to the day. It, there's just a lot of grace um, and a lot of really vulnerable storytelling about stuff that happened in her own life that was really difficult and the challenges of being a person who wants to do that kind of work in the world when you're also just a person. Um, And I don't, I think we don't get enough talk about Mm -hmm. that. Like there's a lot of conceptual talk about activism and there are a lot of memoirs about personal trauma and there's not a lot of discussion or not as much as I would like to see in mainstream conversation and mainstream publishing about how we're all 
whole people who have to do both. Like you have to deal with your own stuff. Um, and I just really admired the perspective that she brought to it. I found a lot to be valued there. Um, I think if you are looking to books as mentors of a kind, See No Stranger would be a really good one. I'm going to use one of my letters. Such a fun <laughs> age by Kylie Reed. In your 20s, group of friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the, first, the character's name escaped me. I apologize. Internet, the world, character, writer, namer. Spent a lot of time thinking about this, I'm sure. Um, but she has a group of friends. They're all mm, black women in their early 20s, right? They're in their mid-20s, yeah. something like that, quickly out of college. Um, some of her friends know what they want to do. She does not, so she becomes nanny to a wealthy white family in Philadelphia and things go sideways um, because of racism, because of miscommunications, because of good intentions, poorly understood and even more poorly implemented. And the main character here figures some things out, but also doesn't. She figures out what she needs to figure out to some degree. Also, look, you just graduated from college. You need something fun to read. This is a fun Mm -hmm. read. You will blow through this i did we're talking a one sitting book yep um maybe maybe two but do not there's a moment where we open the door to a dinner party and if you get to that place where they're about to open the door to the dinner party hope you have another couple hours because you're not going to open the book down it's right in the middle of the book um so i think this is this is one of the we typically talk about coming of age novels of like 17 year olds right historically like it's holden caulfield Mm -hmm. when really it's interesting the window of coming of age i think we've moved into post-college like 22 to 25 is the new coming of age and i think this is a i think this is one of the best if not best modern examples of what the new coming of age book is really about it deals with more complicated issues it has less resolution um it's a little less uh, stand up your your father's walk in to kill a mockingbird coming of age and more yeah it's a mess no one knows what they're doing welcome to the world coming of age um, the other one last lecture by Randy Pausch I think that's how you say his last name P A U S C H came out a while ago and I probably you haven't heard of it if you're if you're just um, the age this recommender seems to be it made the rounds a while ago as a gift book um, for graduating people. And I was really skeptical of it because that kind of book that gets passed around like that tends to be in the, oh, I don't know, Hallmark card, wall art, laugh, love, learn kind of, you know, genre of book. But mm-hmm. this one wasn't. Randy Pouch was a professor who got a terminal diagnosis um, and was thinking about what he wanted to communicate about his life and his work as a teacher, um, the work of learning and the work of work and the work of life. It's horribly sad. It it's is. very moving. It is about getting over obstacles. It is about trying to figure out what matters, what matters to you, how to do it, and what everything is like. So it's probably a little to the fa- uh, to the straight pitch side of what you're looking for, but I think it's the best of those, if that makes sense. I think it's the best of the more inspiring is not the right word, but motivational kinds of lectures but it's not you know an army captain telling you to make your bed every day because you can just do it if you have you know gumption and stick to which is gumption for people who don't have a thesaurus um yeah so that's the last lecture by roundy pouch it sounds like you did you just did you affirmatively make noise I did. that you've read this one before yes yeah i i remember when he was on oprah i think that's what like <laughs> probably set yeah, it probably off blew was, it off yeah there's the, a shock oprah did it 
Yeah, that yeah. he gave he actually, like he gives this as a lecture. He oh or God. Pausch gave it. He gave it as a lecture to his college class. And I think I'm I'm sure that I'm muddling the details because it came out as a book when I was a bookseller, which was mm. like twelve years ago now. Um and I think Oprah like gets word of it. This is before viral video is a thing. And he was on Oprah and then they bookified the yeah. last lecture. Maybe some of those details are out of order, but yeah, it is I think you're right. It is the best in class of this kind of thing for precisely the reason that it doesn't tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. It's not make your bed every morning, but it's like, here are the questions and here's how you can maybe go about asking them for yourself. Yeah. Um, Which is what, spoiler alert, that's what adulthood is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think you're up to read. Yeah. This one, somebody shopping for grandma, who is a huge reader. Shops says, grandma. Yeah. Yes. One of the ways the two of us bond is talking about the books that we read. Grandma loves legal thrillers and detective novels. But the issue is that she's a huge Republican and the thrillers she reads are about the whitest, richest, most macho dudes who are determined to put all the criminals behind bars. What's a book I could gift her that's a great legal thriller or detective novel, but that's not incredibly problematic in every way and I won't feel gross about giving her? You know, I appreciate you, listener, for just mm. telling it like it is that's in right. this question. You even and told I, it more like it is. We left out the parenthetical for reasons, but I appreciate yeah. the parenthetical too. You know what we're talking yeah. about. And this is a real question. Yeah. like how. And I appreciate the complexity here of mm-hmm. how do I give a good gift that the recipient is going to like and also that I feel good about yeah i can and give them all olives of, all the all the all the live long day but if they don't want to if they're not going to eat the right. olives i'm just buying olives exactly. that are gonna go bad. Right. what am i doing so, here it's consideration for the mm-hmm. gifty which we value but also you want to feel good about it right. and i think you i think we have some answers where you can do both of those things and yours is oh i'm a I first sorry we this get, is like the this is the year i'm just mad at you yeah <laughs> we love to hear it um also listen along because we have kind of a mirror request coming mm-hmm. down in a minute here, which actually mentions Bluebird, Bluebird by Adekalak in the in the ask. I don't need to say too much about it. There's a series here. Um, the central figure is a black Texas ranger. I don't think you need to say anything else about the complexity of needing to investigate the murder <laughs> of black people, right? I mean, what else? Right. Is, you know, it's great. Um, Adekalak now, I think she's working in TV these days. She's still mm-hmm. writing, but she's working on, what show is she? She's working. I can't. I can't remember what it is now. But she's made the jump to working in film and TV a little bit more on the strength of what she did with characterization and plotting and complexity. Um, so you get the whodunitness. Let's figure it out itness. But also, crime's not as simple as we think. Uh, a lot of times <laughs> with Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. And there's a sequel to it that I can never remember the name of. You can, you know, that's what the internet is for. Uh, Rebecca, what'd you come up with? All right. I went to Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache Mm. series. Um, I have not read these. I know they are widely beloved. They're set in a small town called Three Pines. It's like a little sleepy village in the UK. And it starts with the book called Still Life. That's number one in the series where the discovery of a dead body in the woods on Thanksgiving weekend brings Chief Inspector Armand Gamache and his colleagues. Oh, sorry. It's not the UK. They're in Quebec. Um, his colleagues from a little Quebec village to try to figure out why would someone kill a well-loved artist? And why, especially why would any of the residents 
do this thing. Um, Three Pines has kind of the same problem as that little town in Maine does where Murder, She Wrote happens, <laughs> where it's like there are 12 people who live here and somehow all of them are yeah, the murder murderers. murder rate is 106%. <laughs> But there's a very, um, from what I understand, there's like a very warm and deep sense of community among these characters, among the people in Three Pines, and there are no big problematic elements. Um, Hillary Clinton is very good friends with, with Louise Penny, and they did an episode of Hillary's podcast together recently and are now writing a book together. So you've got your like liberal, um, I, I, don't, I don't know that it gets any better for liberal bona fides than mm. Hillary Clinton says she'll write a book with you. So I think you can feel safe with Louise Penny, but also it won't be challenging to grandma either. Um, And then one of our contributors uh, who I consulted about this recommended the Thursday Murder Club as well, which is by Richard Osman. And Murders happen on Thursdays. That's that's Mm -hmm. all I know about this series, really. Four septuagenarians with a few tricks up their sleeves. There's a female cop gets her first big case. Um, So this is set in a retirement village where murders happen and the older women are also trying to solve the murders. So those are some characters that your grandma might see herself in, which is pretty cool. And I think if you want to push a little bit, you might pre-order the forthcoming While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Mm. Abrams. Yes, it's that Stacey Abrams, and it is a legal thriller set in and around the Supreme Court. Um, I haven't read it yet. I've been hearing that it's really good and also avoids problematic things, but doesn't have like a capital A agenda either. So you might be able to nudge grandma towards like, here's a thriller by a black person without, um, without it, without grandma feeling like you're trying to, like you're being judgmental or trying to like push something on her. All right. Um, is it your, I'm losing track oh, since I think it's, yes, no, mine. sure. <laughs> How do we do it's this? you. I'm, I'm it's looking you. ahead. I'm changing my mind on my next pick in, in midstream oh, here. Anyway, I, I see. A, something I was trying to think of last night. I just thought of as I was looking ahead. So, all right. So you did, it's my read. Okay. Uh, where am I? Okay. Hope that you're both doing well and finding a little more joy heading into this year's spring recommendation season than last year. I'd say that's fair. Mm-hmm. Point, thank you for thinking of us. All of my parental figures are still working their way through books I've recently purchased slash loaned to them, but I'm always in need of a new book wreck. This year, my absolute favorite read has been A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki, which was a singularly lovely experience examining the ephemeral- ephemerality of time, that's how you say that word, and art and how we interact with them. It was such such a lovely, lovely blend of bittersweet, whimsical, funny, and tragic, and I absolutely loved it. I'm not looking for an exact read like good, because that's a tough one, mm-hmm. but I would love to get recommendations for uniquely evocative books. In case that's helpful, my three most fe- recent favorites were, well, Tale for the Time Being, Gods of Jade and Shadow, and Against the Loveless World all made me cry, but also left me feeling hopeful. All right, Rebecca, what did you come up with? I had to call in the consultants on this because I never read A Tale for the Time Being. Oh, okay. And I, you know, have been meaning to forever. Um, But I asked some of our contributors and I expressed, like, what we're looking for is something really evocative that you can sink into. And a couple 
voices rang out at the same time for Do Not Say We Have Nothing by a Madeleine Tien, um, which is set inside an extended family in China. It shows the lives of two generations, one that lived through Mao's cultural revolution, and then also their children who became students that were protesting in Tiananmen Square. And I'm basically reading from the synopsis here, but at the center of the story are two women, Marie and Ai Ming. And through their relationship, Marie is striving to put together together the tale of her family which is fractured and fragile and that takes place in current day vancouver so Mm -hmm. she's on this quest to like put together some family secrets and reveal a bunch of things um it's called both at once intimate and grandly political um which is just i think a great description of a book. Um, and that one, when our contributors recommended that to me, sort of immediately went on to my list. Uh, and then another one that is at the top of my reading list for this summer is Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn, which is a novel set in Hawaii about, uh, I think it starts in the mid 90s, about a family that's on vacation and their son falls overboard a cruise ship right into mm. the ocean, which is not a thing you want to have happen. Tough book. Tough. And then. And then a bunch of sharks appear in the water around him, which is like the next thing that Double you want to have, <laughs> to have not happen. But instead of doing what you think the sharks are going to do, um, one of the sharks gingerly picks up the boy in its jaws and delivers him back to his mother. Extremely um, good beat. Good, good, yes. good draw there. Yeah. Super good beat. Yes. Uh, and of course, then this kid, Noah, becomes like the stuff of legends and the story then weaves in and out of some hawaiian mythology moves into present day portland so you've got sort of family stuff going back and forth and a little touch of a a little touch of the surreal (laughs) via just a little little via a, a, a shark just delicately returning a child back to its mother. That one's been actually that's been on my list since the holidays when I re- when I was helping edit li- um, recommendations that our bibliologists for mm. TBR send out to customers, and it kept turning up over and over uh, in letters. And I was like, "Oh, that's going to go." So I'm on vacation next week. I think I might be doing it then. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, my pick. I'm going to the Wayback Machine. This book now. Oh, you are. It's a good one. Is, no, I'm, it's not that. I'm going off pissed again. Oh, I don't okay. think I changed it. Did I change it? I'm going. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm going, whoa, there's a loud noise. Um, <laughs> Dreaming in Cuban by Christina Garcia. So I was like, I think maybe the the genre, to, if I'm going to jump uh, rocks in the stream here, is to go a little mm-hmm. magical realism here. Yeah. Um, and Christina Garcia's really influential work though i think it's not as widely known as probably it should be or could be um is about multiple generations of a cuban family coming some of them of whom come to america Um, some of it's about castro some of it's not it's got a family drama almost like a, a russian novel like family relationship thing with the um with some Magical realism in the vein of Gabriel, Gar- Masaic, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So I think it's going to give you the, I don't know, the sense of there's something else to this world feeling you're getting with uh, A Tale for the Time Being, but you're going to be closer to a mainstream of a genre, of, of I guess a literary tradition more of a genre of Dreaming Cuban. It's really beautiful. Um, I, I wish more people read this book. It's not very long. It, the point of view switches from chapter to chapter. 
you, it like some magical realism kind of things. You need to suspend your desire to immediately know what's going on. Eventually get there. It's only 274 pages. Um, yeah, so in 2011, this was the 25th anniversary edition, which I cannot believe. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's Dreaming in Cuban by Christina Garcia. All right, now it is up for you to read. I believe it is. All right, so we have... Oh, I lost this person's name. They gave oh, us permission to say it, and oh, then I lost it. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're... Back on the recommendations for mom. Mm -hmm. She loves big fantasy books and historical fiction. Current favorites are Robin Hobb, but she also loved books like Outlander, Wheel of Time, and other classic 70s through 90s fantasy. Uh, Surprisingly, was not a big fan of the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. She said, we both enjoyed Philippa Gregory's books and Jocelyn Jackson's books. I gave her The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, but it wasn't a big hit because she's a little over World War II fiction. So anything that sounds right in fantasy historical fiction or southern fiction genres would be great i'm going to make a recommendation violates my own rules and probably (laughs) is woefully negligent this is negligent homicide when it comes to book recommendations right here because the king killer chronicle series by patrick rothfuss is great i think it's the kind of thing that she would like and it may never be finished. <laughs> We're two out of three. I, I think in my in my probability matrix, this is somewhere more probable than another George R. R. Martin book. Um, but at least there only needs to be one more. Um, it's just it's just great. It, it really is the big kind of fantasy that it's in the world, but also surprising, which is really really hard to do. Um, I wonder too. It's out there in the world, you know, Shadow and Bone. It's it's more oh. YA, but some of the stuff, the King of Crows, du- or the King of Crows, Six of Crows duology that li- I don't know. Check it out, read about it, see see what you might think. It's it's in there. I think that IP is going to be around. People are watching that. On the historical fiction front, how much of these hills is gold by C. Pam Zhang? I think I've recommended this one before too. Historical fiction set in the Gold Rush era of uh, North America, but the two main characters are orphaned. Um, guess they're going to be tech i don't remember if they're born in america or not but their parents were chinese immigrants their parents die and as you might imagine in 1880 or gosh i guess what 1850 is not easy as to orphan chinese kids to make your way in america it's really beautiful it's really heartbreaking it's really evocative mm-hmm. and interesting um and i i'm looking forward to what saying continues to do in the future hard to think of a different one-two punch than the King Killer Chronicles yeah. and how much of these hills is gold, but that's what you get when you're asking for historical fiction and big fantasy. I don't know what to tell you. We're eclectic here. That's what also, we do. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell might not be a bad writing oh. of the two streams there. I don't know why I'm whispering Interesting. this person's name. <laughs> See, I sort of latched on to the Southern fiction mm-hmm. angle here, and it's not in my notes, but maybe... Fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Oh, how about that? Would be fun. You know, as we discussed on the Book Nerd Movie Club episode, there are some parts... They are gay. They They are are gay. gay. It's true. Um, There are parts of the book that don't hold up under 2021 scrutiny. That's what we want from an older book. And it's just, you know, we can acknowledge these things. But if your mom is into that Jocelyn Jackson vibe, 
Fanny Flagg right in that wheelhouse. I think she might also like Susan Gregg Gilmore's novel, Looking for Salvation at the Dairy Queen, which is set in the early 70s in a small town in Georgia. And uh, the main character, who is the daughter of the town's Baptist preacher, is has you know wants to get out of small town life and make it to the big city. She wants to go run away and live in Atlanta. Uh, somebody helps her get out. She thinks she's going to start the life that she's been dreaming of. And then something happens that draws her back home. So how do you make peace with the place you're from while you're trying to get to the place you think you're going? Um, It's a fun novel. It's from, I think, early mid 2000s was a big book club situation when it came out. So that might be a good one. Um, Jasmine Ward, I think, would be a good stretch pick. For your mom, Southern fiction from uh, the perspective of black characters, which of course built a lot of mm-hmm. Southern black people, built a lot of Southern culture, but don't get a lot of, don't get nearly as much page space as they should in what we talk about as Southern fiction. Um, and I thought about Tyree Jones's American Marriage oh. as well. It feels less distinctly Southern to me, but that's also, yeah. I think that would also be good. It has a good Silver historical. Silver Sparrow, maybe a little more historical. Yeah, that's true. So both of those, I, I think I would look at, at both of those. And then um, all the disclaimers, because Megan Mayhew Bergman is a very good friend of mine, but her short story collection, Almost Famous Women, yeah, is partially Southern fiction and all history. Each story in the collection is about a real woman in history who was like, almost famous as the as the titles go and some of them were like almost got famous on their own but didn't quite break through some of them were almost famous because of their relationships to other people in their lives some of them were just sort of infamous because they were strange or unusual in their time or because they defied expectations and it's a really wonderful set of character studies with a very sharp southern sensibility um i think that I gave my mom that book a couple of years back and it worked pretty well. So, so I think um, it, it'll ring some of those same bells, but like a, a little more serious than mm. the Jocelyn Jackson take. Cool. I think I have the only rec for the next one. So why don't you do the read? Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. invert the streams here a little bit. All right. This next one is, oh yes, this was one where I was like, er, mm-hmm. um, this is a listener who just became a parent. Their daughter was born on Valentine's day. So congratulations, congratulations. and would love a book about a mom doing mom stuff open to any category. They usually read lit fic, sci-fi family drama, and occasionally romance. Um, we're wanting to avoid anything that has a trigger warning involving babies or kids. Um, so what do you got, Jeff? This might be the least number of, I was looking, I was like trying to find the, the publication date. This only has 19 ratings on Amazon, which for what we mm. do is very, 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 very low. Came out a few yeah. years ago called Now My Heart is Full. It's a memoir by a writer named Laura June, who I only know because I followed her on Twitter because she used to write in the tech space, <laughs> right? And it's like, okay. So I came at it a little obliquely. Um, it's a memoir. Um, Laura, uh, or I guess June, has a baby. Um, and then the baby's name is Zelda, and it causes her, as it, it does for, for most people, to have sort of a fractal experiential thing of like, I'm a, 
I'm a child and now I have a child and my mom was a child and she had a child. Like, you know, we're all connected and look at all, kind of reframing how you see everyone in your family, especially, especially your parents and their parents before them. Here, Laura herself has a very complicated relationship with her own mother who is an alcoholic. But then mm. also in having her own daughter begins to understand, if not uh, forgive necessarily or tolerate otherwise, what her mom went through, what she was going through, how difficult it is. Maybe there are books out there that are about the unalloyed pleasures of being a parent. If there are, they're frauds, and I'm not going to recommend them. <laughs> but this does the thing of balancing the the real special joy and tenderness of becoming a parent for the first time with the existential weight of it. I, I often say that becoming a parent is like having more salt in your life. In mm. certain situations, the, it really pops the flavors, and sometimes it just makes it bad, right? And both of those things are true, and I don't know another way around this. And one thing I really appreciate about this book is, is appreciating that, that having kids is like having more salt in your life for good and for ill um, in some ways. So that's now my heart is full. I guess I looked, I I honestly did a lot of looking for, I'm trying to think of what even the mode would be, but almost like um, something that's sort of zany, funny kind of mm. about being a parent and like how wild it is. I was thinking about Jenny Lawson, um, but not, it wasn't quite straight ahead enough about being a parent, though she has a daughter and that's a full figure. Podcast at bookriot.com. Um, I would enjoy a... Look, I, I don't want it to be fluffy. That's not what I'm looking for. But maybe affirmative, but not mawkish um, portrayal of, of having young kids. Maybe I should write one in, mm. my, in my extra time. So that's now my heart is full <laughs> by, by Laura June. Let's do our last sponsor break, and yeah. then it's my read. Hi, Jeff and Rebecca. First off, love the show. Cheers, Marie. Thank you, Marie. We're done. No, Woo! that's we should got a thing here. Uh, oh, there's a bunch of stuff I want Rebecca to see about adaptations that aren't really here. Okay, I have a request for a I have a request for a book rec for my friend who is graduating this year. I think more graduation stuff this year. Is that right mm -hmm. or no? I think so. It feels it like feels there's that a few way, more. Yeah. She's just starting to realize she loves books and there's sort of a treasure hunt type thing with a clue tied into history. Sort of like sort of like the Da Vinci Code. You mean that Dan Brown, the big DB himself, invented and brought down to the good earth and bequeathed to us all. Indiana Jones, that movie where they sell the Declaration of Independence. I think that's what that movie is called, actually. <laughs> I think you're thinking of National Treasure. Do not watch National Treasure 2. Do not. Do not. Do not. Everything that's great is worse, and everything is bad is even worse than that. National Treasure 2. Um, also, some very problematic stuff about indigenous peoples. Anyway, the coordinate by Mark James, et cetera, that sort of thing. If there's some religious or art history involved, the better. All great. Right, you're up. All right. So my first thought was Lexicon by Max That's Berry. One. That's a good one. Which is a little bit orthogonal. Like the yeah. puzzles that the characters are solving are not art history-ish, but they're about language itself. And it's hard to describe, but really fun. Um, I think that if you like the feeling of the Da Vinci Code, Lexicon by Max Berry is a good place to go. And then in my Googling for like, what could possibly scratch the Da Vinci Code mm. itch? Because as you well know, this is an itch that I too have. I discovered that CJ Connor wrote a piece about this last January on a little website yeah, called Book Riot. Book Riot great website. <laughs> Ever heard of it? Yeah. yeah. So a couple 
from that that have from that list that have been added to my personal list are the Flanders panel by Arturo Perez Rivert, which was translated by Margaret Jewel Costa. It's about an art scholar who's hired to restore a 15th century painting and then discovers that the painting, which depicts a chess game, has an inscription corner that says who killed the knight. And she never expected that her career was going to take her into solving these Renaissance mysteries. But it turns out that she is, in fact, trying to solve the murder of a knight who was killed 500 years ago. And, you know, who doesn't love chess as a metaphor for a complicated Mm -hmm. situation? So that's on my list. I was reminded by this list of The Dante Club by Matthew Pearl, which is maybe the most straightforward or the most common Da Vinci Code comparison. Um, It's set in... 19th century, early 20th century Boston, something like that, um, about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Wendell Holmes, and James Russell Lowell, three real-life writers who start the Dante Club as they're translating the first American edition of Dante's Divine Comedy. And then a bunch of murders happen in the city, and they realize that the murders resemble the different levels, the, the different punishments at the levels of Dante's hell. And because they're the ones who are doing this translation, and it's the first time Dante's getting translated um, into American English, they realize that oh maybe they're the ones who have to help solve these murders um i didn't read that one but i remember it being really popular around the time of da vinci and then the emperor of ocean park by stephen l carter um which is the setup is that a judge dies under mysterious circumstances and his son then has to set out to like follow a series of clues unraveling who killed his father and why and like the sort of the secrets of his father's yeah. past. Um, so those were mine. Um, I went a little, I took a kernel and well, mm. I took a, a, a grain of sand and tried to find an oyster to build around. This is a YA fantasy book series by Roshan Chaksi. It's called the Gilded Wolves. There are three of them now, but the, it's a heist where there's a there's a really lovable team. It's in the eighteen late late nineteenth centuries in Paris, which is a fun setting for anything, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they get brought together by a wealthy person, and they go about stealing cultural artifacts from other collectors, but then also stealing them and reappropriating them back to where they came from at the same time. So you get to learn some history, problems of colonialism, the problems of art heist and collection and history in mm. general. I thought it was really, really fun, really good dialogue. Um, and, and I guess the, the Dan Brown comparison is that it's, it's rompy. It's, it's fun. It's patriotic. It's pretty, uh, they're all pretty light on the actual history. National treasure may not actually have one thing of history in it. Maybe some of the names are right. I'm not actually sure, but it's, that's kind of the, that's the dough upon which the, the, the sauce and cheese and toppings really reside. And I think that's true here. So it's, not adult, but is Dan Brown really adult? I don't know. Like that could be YA for all I know. It, 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 or let me put it differently: Y has its own valence. It's not necessarily adult in terms of theme. Let's put it that way. Mm. This one has a team, which is the thing that I think the Da Vinci Code stuff misses the most because it's like Langdon worship and then ponytails. That's that's your cast of characters <laughs> there. This you've got friends, and they've got and there's a diverse cast of characters. And they have different 
they have different skills that they need to put together in different pieces and combinations to attack the problem. Where Langdon has sort of a Swiss Army man, like he's a Renaissance man of like museums. And but this you need like if you're actually going to go out into the world and like steal crap, you need to know practical stuff like picking locks and doing stuff. So I really thought this was a super lot of fun. And I I was trying to I was like I don't know which graduation we're talking about here because we're talking about high school graduation. Mm, right. Then we're really in kind of the right age group maybe. But even college graduation, but then adults like me can like it as well. But knowing going in, and this is YA, has fantastical elements, but also re- reflects to the world as we know it. Plus, there's three of them, which is underrated, right, if you find something like this you like. Yeah. So you can go um, burn through them this way. They're all, you can get all of them in paperback for like 30 bucks total. So it'd make a nice gift all at once if you want to do it that way. Nice. All right. Um, thank you all for the work you do. You're welcome. Uh, we're working away from the podcast backlog for a year now. <laughs> new episodes. I'm in episode 50, 150 right now. Oh my goodness! Woo, Charlie, welcome. Uh, recommendation request for myself. I graduated from college last May. My dad passed away this February, and I just started a new job. And I'm about to move into my first apartment, so it's been quite a year for me. I was hoping for some book recommendations for books about one or both of the following: a mourning the loss of a loved one and transitioning as healthfully as possible into real adulthood. Capital R, capital A. I've been in a bit of a slump lately, so any recommendations are appreciated, and five alarms, snot bobs, are perfectly acceptable. <laughs> because you, Charlie, have been living in a 50 alarm snot bombs. Um, I'm so sorry to hear this. Also, for the record, I would be 100% down to follow along with Lonesome Dove. <laughs> Look, Charlie's had a year, so now maybe we have to I, get. I feel like. Jesus. I can't give, give the people what they want. They're crying, crying out for it. Oh, boy. Okay, go. All right. Well, I went straight for how do you deal with this? Yep. Um, so for did I. A, Yep. With a book called Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief by David Kessler. Uh, this came out early in 2020, maybe late in 2019. Mm. I read it early in 2020, um, sort of in the fresh, after we had realized that COVID was a big thing and when the grief was really fresh and really difficult. Um, Kessler conducted, uh, he worked for decades with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is the researcher that famously formed the understanding of the five stages of grief. Um, So he's intimately familiar with that process and with all of the work and the psychology surrounding it. And Finding Meaning is, as the title promises, an exploration of what happens when you've completed those five stages, or really the understanding that we move in and out of those stages of grief, but near the resolution, we then make meaning out of the difficult experience. And this is not the everything happens for a reason (laughs) interpretation of things, because you can sit down with that. Anyone who's been through something really awful knows that's not what we're looking for here. It's not bypassing all of the difficulty of it. It's this awful thing happened. You have grieved it in the really palpable ways. You're going to grieve it in some way, probably forever. But the next part is how does that integrate into who you are and into the way you understand yourself in the world and how you make meaning out of it. Um, I found it to be incredibly helpful as a framework for loss, as a framework for understanding how we move between the stages of grief and just for having more awareness of what my own feelings were doing in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, in that time, I haven't, thankfully, I have not applied it or had to apply it to the loss of a direct person in my life. Um, But Kessler covers that in a lot of detail. And I think it goes to 
sort of that kind of that thing that people say when you have lost someone of like, I hope that your memories and experiences with that person will bring you comfort as time goes on. I think this sort of builds on that idea of how are you going to take that into yourself? And how do we take this loss that we can't help but have be part of ourselves and turn it into something that can be used and transformative in a in a positive way, eventually, um, and also looks at big cultural things that happen and, and bigger traumas. I just really found a lot, um, a lot of value in that. Um, and for maybe somebody's more personal story, H is for Hawk by Helen yeah, McDonald. That's a really good pick. Is a really wonderful memoir that's not ostensibly about grief, but really is about grief as um, she is freshly mourning the loss of her own father and decides that she's going to learn how to train hawks, which requires a lot of attention and a lot of sitting very quietly. a lot quietly. of being alone and yeah. a lot of waiting and not, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... Uh... It requires a lot of the same like behaviors yeah. that going through grief requires, but you get to direct your mind somewhere mm-hmm. else and it turns out to be very healing. And at the end, you get a terror bird that you, that you command, <laughs> which is great. Right, yeah. right. So um, that's, it's just a really, a, a really beautiful book um so i think i would pick up both of those honestly i think learning how to make sense of loss is one of those things that we're all going to be doing for our entire lives and as much as you can read about it you know sometimes you want to shy away from obvious is the wrong word but well more well-known things but you know someone's born every day that hasn't seen star wars this person is graduating Mm -hmm. they're young maybe they haven't had the you know, the mind space ever thought about it. Maybe they haven't heard of it because it's now kind of fallen out of, of the moment. But there was a time in which the year of magical thinking by Joan Didion was the, when breath becomes air of its moment, Mm -hmm. right? Which we also had, which also probably would be a good recommendation in this place too. I didn't really think of it by um, Paul Kalanithi. Joan Didion, one of the great American writers, one of the great American stylists, one of the great American self essay, self-reflective essayists, had as bad of a year as you're likely to have, losing both her husband and the daughter in a very short amount of time. And the product, literarily, artistically, was were two memoirs, one called The Year of Magical Think- Thinking, which is more directly about that year, and The Blue Nights, which is a more ruminative piece, more of a coda. I found it very hard to look directly at Year of Magical Thinking. It's the harder of the two books. And that may or may not be something you're looking for because it's it's closer to the metal of things happening to her. Blue Nights is a little, it's one step removed. It's the it's the book she wrote after Year of Magical Thinking, and so it's a little more reflective. It's a little more moving forward, but also the pain of moving forward and of her own getting older. Um, the Blue Nights is a central metaphor that the those evening hours that you get around the summer solstice, which means you're still in the summer, but fall is coming. Right. And so it's much about her old aging. One of my favorite genres, pe- old people writing about being old. Mm. Love the genre. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. So I get that too here. As a duology, you could read them both. You know, they're both, I think Year of Magical Things is like 150 pages. Blue Nights is maybe a little bit longer, um, I think. And I don't know, I don't know if it would be helpful. I don't know what, if anything would be helpful. But this is about the thing you are experiencing. And much like everything else in life, sometimes just having someone write the things that you are thinking and feeling slightly different way, having it affirmed, having it refracted, having yeah. it reframed for you can do some work, can help you do the work you have to do yourself. No, these books are going to fix you. You know that better than anybody. Um, but they can maybe lay down. They can smooth the path in some way, maybe cut some round a few corners um, that you're going to be um, 
having your side for a while. Best of luck to you. Really sorry to hear that. Yeah. Somebody recommended the year of magical thinking to me like three months before my wedding. Oh, I mean, come on. (laughs) And I don't know that they knew that that's what they were doing, but talk about like that book just ripped me apart yeah and i have not been able the top five books not to give before a wedding or someone's about to have a kid <laughs> i think your magical thinking is way up there it's like sophie's choice and your magical thinking Those <laughs> are right yeah. yeah it's like i should revisit it at some point and also i'm not sure i will Did ever you ever be read able blue to... nights because it's a little no it, it's because a little it, better or it, it, it's like not the it right just, word yeah. You know, it, I mean, the year of magical thinking is incredible. Yes. And I'm sure that I will go back to it at some point, but you're right. It does. It looks directly at. You're looking thing. right at the sun. Where Blue Nights is, you know, the, the sun's gone down a little bit. It's a little easier right. uh, yeah. to take. All right. So this next one is let's see. We are looking for recommendations for dad. Mm. Dad likes funny British books like P.G. Woodhouse, John Mortimer, Jerome K. Jerome. Um, He would like to get him something similar but more diverse. They tried The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra but didn't get any feedback on it. And he couldn't get past the sci-fi aspect of To Say Nothing of the Dog. Uh, Other books I know he has enjoyed are the Aubrey Maturin series. Shout out to Bob's longtime faves. He's currently listening to number 20 on audio. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I think up. he just <laughs> passed my John Gierak trout fishing record of 15 books about trout fishing in Colorado that like, I've listened to. Literally, Jeff, we can't cancel the Audible subscription in my house because the Audible library that we share has all of Bob's Patrick That's how they O'Brien get you, man. audio books. That's how they get you. It's called endowment effect. Oh, John Le Carre. Okay, so this person's dad also likes John Le Carre and, and dad books on other topics like history of the Silk Road or how the meter was defined, etc. Unbelievable shit right there. Right? Dad. <laughs> how the meter was defined. I'm of in. What's the book? What was the book? <laughs> right. Come on. He's a retired scientist who's lived and worked in many places around the world, and his interests include restoring classic motorcycles. So he should be friends with the dad from the first question. Shine for motorbikes this year. Yeah, (laughs) gardening, general tinkering with things. Wait a minute, romantic. Was your dad Oliver (laughs) Sacks? I was just about to say. Now I didn't have a recommendation for this person, but now I'm going to recommend Oliver Sacks. Yeah, right. There you go. And Dad likes romantic comedy movies. Oh, first of all, is your dad looking for new friends? I was because say, I'm available. I don't know what we, what kind of relationship we can get into here, but I'm interested. <laughs> we are available if your yeah. dad just wants to like call us once a week. We'll talk about things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jeff. This one's you. Here's the thing. I'm not, I I had a hard time with this one. I felt like this should be easier for me, but here's the thing. I'm scared of. Do you know did you see the uh, phrase I'm scared of? Mhm. Retired scientist. Yep. Knows too much. I don't mm. So I went a little more If there was a retired scientist, I would have gone Bill Bryson. It's funny. Ah. Uh. You know, a short history of nearly everything is where I've gone. What kind of scientist? I don't know. So I needed to go up a level of complexity. So I went Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee, one of our favorites, almost on RSTLNE. We don't get to talk about it that much anymore. Mm-hmm. The, the cultural and medical history of cancer. Unbelievable. It's just, what are you going to say? I don't know. What, what can we say more about this? You, you cultural history, you get the science. Mukherjee's a great writer. It moves back and forth. You learn something about yourself, about knowledge, about history, un, you know, about medicine. And there's a lot of science in there, too. On the other um, I'll put it, I don't have the author in front of me for this one. I didn't put it in there. On the funnier, quirkier, listen to it. Michelle and I listened to this together outside while we were painting our deck last summer because it, we both like this kind of thing of like, did you know? It's like, did you know, but 
with, with its uh, tuxedo on. It's called Who Ate the First Oyster? Question mark. And each chapter is about who the first thing. Who's the first person to wear clothes? Who's the first person? How how do we think someone first invented fire or the wheel or you know who ate the first oyster? So you get a little bit of a. Oh, I wouldn't call it a Sarah Val irreverent curiosity. It's not quite mm. that stylized, I would say. But the, the similar kind of like, let's explore something interesting, not be too heavy on the sociological history, anthropology, but also it's not going to be just like wildly speculating based on nothing. Um, so the, I, I kind of went more pop science cultural history and then that's really just kind of fun so i don't feel great about either of those rebecca i feel like i should have something better than that maybe oliver Sacks, you know the man who yeah, took his wife I'm, for a hat or oliver Sacks' own autobiography or just guess just straight up go straight to on the move yeah oliver Sacks' memoir about being the most interesting man alive yeah. riding a motorcycle in his youth and then becoming a neurologist who saw the world in a way that nobody had yeah, before right and also was really funny and also and very... was a champion weightlifter and gay right. in england in the 1950s right. which was just, not, a, not a walk on the walk in the park just like sit down yeah. nobody was more interesting than oliver right. Sacks. It's, it's really t- maybe except for this person's dad <laughs> who <laughs> right. maybe knew oliver sex if your dad was not already best friends with oliver sex yeah. get him the Probably oliver sex memoir young, but uh... yeah <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, did you read the last one? I was so nervous about my answer, I blacked out. I think you did read the last one. I'll I read did. this one anyway. Uh, I wanted to do this for so long, but I'm usually behind in episodes by the time you do to the recommendation episodes. I'm looking for a recommendation myself. No shade. I'm a mom with a two-year-old, so I'll be buying my own Mother's Day gift. I'm really interested in finding a novel similar to the show In Treatment and Couples Therapy, where a character sees a therapist. I have Carrie Pilber in my TBR, but I don't know if any other fiction work in this area. Your recommendations would be greatly appreciated. I didn't have one, so we're gonna go. We're gonna do a little ping pong of soloing it. So, Rebecca, this, yeah. is, this is your chance to air guitar. Okay, I did not have any success finding fiction for you mm-hmm. that has good depictions, like detailed depictions of characters in therapy, and like that and it's about that, right? I mean, I think that's the right. thing here. It's not just like one or two, like yeah, to see a therapist and thing. Like that's the central thing. Yeah, I dug in. I like did some googling, and I asked our contributors, and there are like two hundred of them. So usually somebody has a an answer to a hole thing. in the book. Firmament here. There's like there's yeah. there should be more stars in the sky right here. I'm surprised. And, well, and I think it's because. A lot of therapy is boring if yeah. you're not the person in the therapy. It's crying and seriously tell them what you think. Like, that's yeah. what it is, right? Like, say the thing you're saying to me to or the person you need to say it to. And saying the same thing over, over and over, over until yeah. you finally figure out Jesus, how to... Jesus, I'm still myself this month, turns out. Right. <laughs> right, until you finally figure out how to do the thing. So mm-hmm. I get how therapy is not, like, the stuff of great fiction. And the closest our contributors came was like, oh, here's a romance novel where the characters go to couples therapy sometimes yeah. together. But... I also deeply love In Treatment, and there's a new season of it coming up, so you can like mark your... And we've swapped deep... out the counselor or something, right? There's like something notable I think about so. that? Yeah. yeah, I think right. so. I think so. Um, so you can mark your calendar for that. Couples therapy is fascinating. And so I think what you are really going to get something from are a couple of memoirs, which I've talked about, I think, on Moms, Dads, and Grads before. The first one is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb, who writes about being a therapist and also being in therapy. She has a rough breakup and realizes that she needs to go back to therapy herself. So we see her being the client, and then we also see her 
through the lens of relationships with five different clients that mm-hmm. of her own that are compressed versions or like consolidated versions of several common things that she deals with um, with clients in therapy. So I just found it to be so human and so funny and enlightening. And like she brings all the neuroses to her relationship with her therapist that she is constantly telling her clients not to worry about with her. And it's just one of those like, even if you are the professional in some situations, you can't get out of your own head when you're sitting in the other chair. Um, I thought it was just really, really wonderful and fun. And then on the juicier side is The Group by Christy Tate, um, which is about a decades-long experience in a very unconventional group therapy situation where the um, individuals are encouraged to disclose like absolutely everything to each other in the name of uh, you have so much trauma that you need to disclose absolutely everything so there there can be only acceptance and no shame. And it sounds very difficult. Um, and also it really works for her. And I found it to be... Very difficult utter- really works. Like, a therapy in a nutshell. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> it was completely fascinating. I read it in one sitting and it was very, it was one of those days of like, do not bother me because I am deeply in this other person's life right now and I'm not coming out. But maybe the closest experience you're going to have to what you're getting from watching couples therapy and in treatment is actually Esther Perel's podcast, Where Should We Begin? Uh, which each episode is actual people in actual therapy. actual people in actual therapy. It's uh, an actual couple in the first episode or the first episode, actual an actual couple in the first session of therapy with her. And if you're not familiar, Esther Perel is uh, is a psychologist known for couples therapy and sex therapy and for having, I think, a very direct approach um, to the ways that she understands relationships and like the tensions between um, domestic life and desire that are really at the heart of a lot of things that come up on the couples therapy episodes on Showtime. Um, So if you're not already in the Esther Perel universe, you're going to want to be but that is a great podcast that will give you a lot of that same like, I think that if you're a person who likes these shows and these books, you're you gain a lot of insight by watching other people gain insight or yeah. by um, seeing how other people are figuring out their lives. That's certainly why it works for me. And I think you'll find a lot of that with Esther Perel. All right. I'm over time. I bought myself okay. 10 more minutes. So we're going to do speed right. rounds for the rest. Okay. So we'll read the full question and do like 20 seconds of rec. Do the best we can here. Uh, my, it's uh, The ball's back in my court. So you read and I'll do a quick one. Okay. Uh, let's see. This person is writing in, Chloe is writing in for herself, um, has recently become more interested in Latin American issues, particularly the femicide happening in Mexico, and is looking for a few good books to take a deep dive with. Open to any kind of social issue happening anywhere in Latin America, fiction or nonfiction, genre and length don't deter. Um, They said, feel free to go for the low-hanging fruit here because I'm not very well read in this part of the world, but I have read the Valeria Luiselli, Yuri Herrera, and Eduardo Galeano in the past and really enjoyed their writing. And this one's you. So this is not a contemporary social issue. In the Time of Butterflies is my pick by Julia Alvarez. The titular Butterflies are La Mariposa, which is a group of women resisting Trujillo. Um, and this is mm. a wonderful, wonderful Latin America social novel, family novel, relationship novel. So it's not contemporary, like a contemporary social issue, but um, resisting powerful people is always <laughs> evergreen um, and just a fantastic book uh, in its own right. Uh, my next, uh, each time you read a river runs through, it takes a couple hours, prepares me for the summer. 
I'd like to expand my reading of outdoor nature writers beyond the man bun on a raft. That's not River Rock. <laughs> How dare. An indigenous perspective is preferred. Keep it grounded in science. Um, spirituality should be for anthropological context, so not looking for, like, you know, the, the you know, Jesus is in the rocks kind of stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is our friend and coworker, Clint. Shouts to Clint. Thanks for the ask. Rebecca, pick one of these. One. Okay, one. This one's new to me, so maybe Clint and I can book club it yeah. together. Um, I'm going to be reading Trace, which is Memory, History, Race, and the American Landscape by Laura E. Savoy. Mm-hmm. Um, through personal journeys and historical inquiry, Savoy explores how America's history with race has unfolded to mark both the people and the land. Yep. My yep. pick is Earthkeeper by N. Scott Mamaday. You know, one of the most lauded name in um, uh, Native people's literature in North America. This one is about the relationship of the earth itself to the oral tradition, to his Kiowa tribe, um, and how his life and his childhood and stories and oral tradition are connected to the land. You can read it pretty quick. I don't know if there's audio on this. I read this a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. came out in 2020. I think that might have been a reissue. Oh, there is an audio. I know Clint likes audio. I would love to hear this on audio. So that's my pick, Earthkeeper by Ann Scott. Mama Day. Uh, I can't remember. Where are, you're up. You're it's my turn. Yes. Let's see. Book recommendation for sort of for their parents and sort of for them. It uh, says, it doesn't matter how many social justice reads mm. my brother and I recommend to my parents, they don't read them. <laughs> So that includes Just Mercy, The New Jim Crow, 21 Things About the Indian Act. However, they recommended Attica Locke, and parents loved Bluebird, Bluebird, Heaven, My Home, and The Cutting Season. And boy, do those books teach about life in the South. So what book can I read that's ideally a mystery, but literary fiction is okay, that I can then recommend to my parents, and they'll still be able to get a good discussion about social justice out of the read? I hope this question makes sense. Another book currently on their radar is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. So oh, me. Deacon King Kong by James McBride. It's fun, mm. serious, gentrification, race, but also playful, inventive. Uh, the spoonful of sugar and a little bit of, hey, folks, things ain't as simple as you want them to be. Deacon King Kong by James McBride. All right. I'm sorry. I'm kind of galley bragging here. You did mention S.A. Cosby, but I want to make sure that Razorblade Tears is on your radar because as awesome as Blacktop Wasteland was, Razorblade Tears, which comes out, I think, in June, um, directly deals with not just issues of race and class, but with LGBTQ issues and the intersection of those. The main character or one of the main characters is a black man whose son was gay and was murdered and he and the father uh, who's a white man of his son's partner are trying to unravel the murder of their sons and also under come to understand and make peace with their son's sexuality and along the way they like pick up a lot of the terminology and teach each other some of the things that many people I think in our like millennial generation have been trying to teach our parents about the ways that we think about and talk about race and sexuality now um so I think that's a great one and then maybe for more uh, for something ah, okay sorry 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 all right here we go I'm my read I was okay. gonna ask a recommendation for myself I'm looking for a good literary fiction novel <laughs> I'm not really interested in anything that is science fiction or fantasy or any of those elements. I just really want a story I can sink down into and immerse myself in. I would love a story about women or women's issues, but that's not a deal breaker at all. Mostly looking for something that's well-written, well-thought-out, and feels meaningful. 
would prefer to avoid anything that contains sexual assault, but I know literary fiction can be heavy, so that's not completely a deal breaker. Mm. Thank you, Maria. The last literary fiction I really sunk into was Clara and the Sun. There it is. When we, we have a 60-minute recommendation for that in the first episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not about women's issues, but just deeply, deeply good literary fiction that is absorbing and asks big questions and creates this whole world. And man, I don't think you can do much better. Yeah. I did Pachinko by Minjin Lee, which I recently yeah. read after being a big hit a few years ago. Multi-generational story of Koreans living in Japan, mostly coming from Korea to Japan, Starting really in the ni- in 1912, is that the first? I think that's the first date, um, telescoping all the way to 1989. Mm. And the issues and the trials and tribulations of a world I knew very little about, characters I came to really love and admire. And I, you know, I think it's fair to say I was totally blown away. It, 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 women's issues are at the core of this. Um, they're related to, but of course, different than women's issues as we would think about in contemporary North American life. But <laughs> there are echoes there, you know, the sort of fractal things that go all the way down. It is sad. Be prepared for sad. But also mm-hmm. sometimes not. But also then it gets sadder. But then maybe not as sad. And then, but it has the back and forth and the salt of life, man. It's just all there laid out. And I was really, I, had, I, I knew I was going to read this. I heard too many people I really liked and admired talk about it in the way I'm talking about it now. And they were right. And I am right. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. <laughs> all right. Last one is going to be your wheelhouse. Um, these folks are brand new parents and would love to get a book for their partner about the parent-child relationship. He really enjoys reading mostly audiobooks that are historical nonfiction, um, but they think if they can sell him on the recommendation, he'd be up for anything. So looking for something that's not too over- overly sentimental, but is ultimately uplifting. And I second your emotion here, so I'm excited. Oh, about okay, this great. Yeah, this is, again, this is 10 years old now almost. Manhood mm-hmm. for Amateurs. Uh, the subhead is The Pleasures and Regrets of a Husband, Father, and Son by Michael Shabin, who has also now made more of a transition into... Michael, you remember the time when Michael Shabin was like, maybe at the, the pinnacle of the cross-section of commercial and literary yeah. and exciting and inventive? Not sure what happened. I, I think he got involved in Spider-Man movies and other things. Yeah, he's writing I, for TV Writing now, for TV. This one, though, is really great. And I, I've found I like his nonfiction more than his more recent fiction mm-hmm. for reasons that may be more about me than him. But this is what, you, this is what you're asking for. Um, I don't know an audiobook if it narrates it. I have listened to one Shaban narrated memoir, which memoir audiobook narration by the author for memoirs is my go-to. This is one where he's fine, but if it's not, it's also probably going to be great. That's not, that's not Shades, but it didn't really... I wasn't like, I'm so glad. It's not like mm. Helen McDonald or right. um, Hope Jaron, who like are crying about their own story in the middle of the audiobook, which I'll never forget. <sighs> it's not doing that kind of stuff. But it's, it's, this is short. This is what you're looking for. That's all I got to say about this. Yep, Man I think that's right. Richard, but Michael Shabin, thanks as always, everyone out there. We didn't get to everyone who sent them in, but we got to everyone who sent them in by our asking cutoff time. I might respond to some others um, out there pretty quick. As always, podcast at bookriot.com. You can find the links to all the books we talked about in the order in which we talked about them at bookriot.com slash listen or in the show notes of the episode you're looking at. Summer preview coming soon. Um, As always, Rebecca, well done. Thanks to everyone for the recommendations. Talk to you next time. Have a good one. (laughs) 